Last week, in case you missed it, we talked about, uh, we did John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, and Jesus being the good shepherd and putting our trust in the leadership and the guidance of the good shepherd. We focused around the verse that the enemy does not come, or the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life and life abundantly. And so we need to live in that abundant life. And so that's really um, the heart of this passage as we continue on. And so really, for us, how many of you guys have seen the Netflix um, documentary of Marie Kondo? You know, if you haven't, you kind of go through your house and you declutter your house and you hold the object up and say, does this bring me joy, you know, or does this bring me joy? And if it doesn't, then you get rid of it and you're supposed to, like, declutter, you know. So should I hold on to these VHS, t- VHS tapes that have no player? Um, do I keep this sweater that's been in my closet for 20 years? Um, but really the question that we should be asking ourselves in reality is, um, for all things in life, does this bring me life? You know, is there life in this? In the words that I use and the things that I'm saying, does this bring me life? The things that I'm thinking and the thought patterns, um, am I thinking things that bring me life? Um, and if they don't lead to life and if they bring death, then you can know for assuredly that they are not from God. Um, because the Lord will always bring things into your life that lead to life. And so that's really what we should, the lens that we should focus on and the lens that we should go through is, does this lead to life? And so as we continue, um, we're going to talk about the Good Shepherd, and this is just part two, continuing on from last week. And so we hit um, John chapter 10, verse 11, and we're just going to start right there. It says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them in also. The reason my father loves me is that I lay my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so if we go back to verse 11, we just want to take that first part. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. And it's hard for me to not think of that statement and not go back to Psalm 23 and the opening of Psalm 23 where it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I read this week and someone said this, that that is the most loved verse, but yet the least believed verse. You know, we love to hear it. The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, Jesus is my all. He is my everything. I only need him. I shall not want. That part is really hard. That part is challenging. That part is difficult. You know, yes, that sounds awesome. Jesus is my everything. He's all that I need. You know, can take this world, just give me Jesus. What about when the bank account is a little low? What do you want then? What about when things at work are stressful and they're busy? What do you want then? What about when one of your kids is giving you a problem and there's trouble at home as far as that goes? What about then? What about when that teacher at school just won't let you alone or things at school aren't going the way you want or you don't have the friends that you want? What do you want then? What if you're single and you're just looking to be married and you just want that one and it just keeps avoiding you? You know, can we trust that that verse? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's challenging. Our wants are always before us. Our needs are always before us and they're always 
um, prevalence, right? If it was true, like in Aladdin, where you could get a magic genie and you could rub it and get three wishes, I guarantee you that we all have, we could come up with three wishes very quickly, um, right here, right now. I want this, I need this, this is what I need, and we would run out of wishes before we left (laughs) service here this morning. So what does it mean? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I was... um, Newly saved, my youth pastor prayed something over me and he was looking at me as he said it and he said this, he said, Ryan, they can take the clothes off of your back, they can strip your family away, they can take your health, they can take your money and all of that, but what you still will have is you still will be a son of God. And I've prayed that over many young people and I believe that today and it really embodies what it means to be the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can take my material possessions, you can take um, my job, you can take all of that, but at the end of the day, what you can't take from me and what no one can take from me is that I am a son of God and that you are the sons and daughters of God. And that if you have that, despite that there might be some hardship and some struggle and all of that, you still have something to live on because the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want. Meaning this, the Lord is your shepherd and he will supply you with what you need. And do we believe that? And do we take that to heart? That, you know, everything that I need for life and godliness is found in the person of Jesus. And what does that mean to give our lives to the the good shepherd and to trust that? That's why Jesus says um, also in the book of John in two different places, he says, I am the bread of life, and if you eat of me, you will never hunger again. He also says that if you drink from my well, you will never thirst again. And so what does that mean? Do we physically eat Jesus and drink of his cup? No. He's saying that the desires and the passions and the longings and the things within your heart, that if you fill them with more of Jesus and you grow in your relationship with Jesus and you fill that with him, right? He must increase, I must decrease. If you walk that out, then the longings and the satisfyings of your hearts will be met. One, two ways. One, he will meet the ones that's he is designed to be met, or two, the things that you think that you want or the things that you think that you need will slowly fade away because you realize that you are content in who Jesus is and what he has provided for you. I think this is what Paul um, embodied what he really meant in Philippians 4 when he says, I have learned what it is to have much, and I have learned what it is to have little, and in this I am content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because Paul's saying that his contentment, his satisfaction, his peace isn't in his material possessions or what he has or how little he has. is that I can trust the Lord to provide and to meet my needs. And so can we here this morning trust God for that? To be our shepherd, that what he, what he gives us and what he leads us into and the provision that he provides is sufficient. That I am not without need. Why? Because I know the good shepherd. And I know where he leads I think that whenever we are able to look at life through this lens and when we're able to, you know, say, you know what, God, I may not have this or I may not have that and I'm without this and I really want this, but you know what, I have Jesus and I have all that I need, we start to look at the things of our life um, through a different lens. And I start to realize that some of the things that I once thought were nuisance, were pains and just needed to be changed are really actually blessings. For example... I drive a 2004 green Dodge Caravan um, 
that has no amenities whatsoever, still got the roll-up windows. If I want to unlock the back seat, I have to open the passenger side, reach back, and unlock the sliding doors in the back. Um, has that, my fabric is draping down and I'm so tall that it hits my head as I'm driving, okay? Um, it has no tint whatsoever, okay? So that thing could bake a lasagna in the middle of summer, all right? Um, if you notice, wherever I park, whenever I leave the parking lot, you're going to find just a little spot of rust in the parking spot that that van leaves behind, okay? I hate that thing. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed by it that my kids love to do the car line at their schools. I say, no way. I will get you out of the car, and I will walk into school, and I will take you into school rather than drop you off in this. But when I start to look at things through the lens of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I start to realize, hey, that's our second car. Thank you, God, that I have a second car. Thank you, God, that you have blessed me with something to get my kids to school. Thank you, God, that I have children to take to school. Thank you, God, that I have a family. Thank you, Lord, that I can feed them and I have a place where there's shelter over my head and I can live in safety and comfort. And all of a sudden, when I realize that the Lord is my shepherd, I start to see those things that I wish to change and I wish to be made new. And I start to realize, now ah, those are God's blessings and that's God's favor. And I can be content in those things. And so where are you guys at? Where is it that you think that this needs to happen and then I will be content? Or, you know, I need a new job and then I will be satisfied. Or I need this amount in savings and then I will have peace. But can we trust that, that the Lord is our shepherd and the things that he will lead you into and the things that he will guide you into, can you trust him to meet all of your needs and that you have exactly what you need in the person of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, or another version says, the hireling is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And so Jesus is making a very quick distinction between how he shepherds, how he, li- how he leads, and how he protects, then how the hired hands cares for the sheep and looks after the sheep. It's similar to this. It's kind of like the cashier at 7-Eleven held at gunpoint and saying, give me all your money, and he's going, you know what? This job ain't worth $7.25 an hour. You can have the entire thing and take whatever you want in the store because this ain't worth my life and this ain't worth that. I can find another job at $7.25 an hour. But the owner of that store and the owner of that convenience store that they're held up at gunpoint, it means a little bit more. What? Because that's their wallet affected. That's their business that's in danger. And so he cares a little bit more closely for what happens. Um, Another analogy that... The Porter kids and the Diffender for kids love, um, he's not here today, but Herb Douglas. Because Herb um, will just hand them candy upon candy upon candy, right? So last week we had Oreos at Warehouse, and they know that if they go ask Mr. Herb, he's not going to stop giving them Oreos, okay? Why? They're not Mr. Herb's kids. <laughs> he doesn't care. He doesn't care that he gets them all sugared up and all excited and all that. Um, it doesn't matter to him, right? To the parents, it matters a little bit more, Right? how much sugar intake our children take in for their health and for their benefit, and we care a little bit more deeply than maybe what Herb does. And so Jesus is saying that about his sheep and about his flock. He's saying there's a difference in the way that I care for my sheep and the way that I protect them and what I bring into the life as opposed to 
the hired man. What is the hired man? What is the hireling? In this sense, it's just someone that is paid for the day to wash the sheep. You know, maybe the shepherd has jury duty, and um, that's not a true thing. You can laugh at that. They didn't have jury duty, all right? Um, and they would pay someone just to shepherd the sheep for just one day, you know, or maybe a period of time. Maybe there was a wedding or a feast, and the shepherd had to leave his flock. So he would pay someone just to look after them, um, until the shepherd could get back to his flock. And it says this, that the hired man, that whenever danger comes, right, whenever the wolf comes or whenever he is personally at risk or he has something to lose, he says, you know what? I'm getting out the way. They're not my sheep. They're not my possession. Um, I don't have any vested interest in the flock. And I'm not about to risk my life. I'm not about to endanger myself. And I'm not about to cause pain in my life for the sake of someone else's flock. So it says the hired man runs away. But what does it say about Jesus? Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And there's a point in here that I really want us to get. It says, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. And so if the hired man is not the one that owns the sheep, what Jesus is saying is this, is that he owns the sheep, that he takes possession of his flock, that we are his flock. We talked last week, we are the sheep, right? We are Jesus' flock, and he's taking ownership of us. He's saying, you belong to me. You are my possession, right? And he has a vested interest. He cares about the well-being of his flock. They matter to him. What's it say over in, I'll just read it, First Peter um, chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That ought to make us rejoice, right? That the king of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe is saying, you know what? You're mine. (laughs) He's taken ownership of me. We use the analogy of the black sheep. Um, we can be the black sheep in our families. We can be the black sheep at work. Or we can be, maybe, maybe we even feel like we're the black sheep here in this congregation. And Jesus saying, no, I own you. You're mine. You have a place. You belong. And he takes possession of us. That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a people belonging to God. You ever meet the people that they're the infamous um, name droppers? It's like, well, I know so-and-so, or I know so-and-so, or I went to school here and I know this person, as if that, like, elevates their status somehow because of their association with someone else. Um, You know what I can associate with? The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings calls me his own. (laughs) I can puff out my chest at that and say, you know what, I belong to him. What do you got? (laughs) And we all can make that claim and that Jesus is taking possession and ownership of us. Saying, they're my own. And he goes on to explain some of the differences. He says, the hired man is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, right? When he sees danger, when something is threatening, you know, his life, says he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. What's the hired man care about? Himself. He cares about what he has to lose. He cares about his health. He cares about protecting himself. I don't know if anything could be more true to capture Western culture and Western society other than that hireling mentality. I care about me, myself, and I. As long as I can protect myself. 
I don't want to risk anything. You know, I could lose money on that, or that could, that's my time, and my time is valuable. I've got to protect myself. I've got to look out for myself. Sometimes we even make it so, sound so Christian that it's dangerous, you know? I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to protect my family. But we live in that mentality where it's all about me, myself, and I, and that when danger comes and that we have something to lose or we have something at stake, it's like, forget about sacrifice. I've got to protect myself. And it's almost like a slap in the face to Jesus who says that I lay down my life and I have the one that comes to serve, not to be served, for our sake. We forget about the verses in Philippians 2-3 that says, um, why don't you consider others above yourselves? Consider others better than you. In Matthew it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in the same way that you love yourself, love those around you. Another one from 1 Peter 4.8 says this, above all things, right, above all else, what you do, keep loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins. I get it. You guys are like, all right, Ryan, you know, but what about when they take advantage of me? Or what about when they don't appreciate or recognize what I have done for them? And what about when I have done this, you know, over and over again and I get no appreciation for the love that I have given? What about when I don't get recognized for the things that I have done. What does Jesus say in John 15, verse 12? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Okay, Jesus. Love each other as I have loved you. Well, how have you loved others, Jesus? You know, how have you done that? Oh, you were innocent and you laid down your life for my sins and you sacrificed on my behalf for my benefit? Jesus, you mean you would call me to sacrifice some of my time, some of my money, my energy for the sake of others? You know what? It's one of the things that I find most astonishing is that Jesus didn't say, you know what, God, um, or you know what, Father, I'm not going to the cross because you know what, there's going to be people that reject me. There'll be people that won't even acknowledge the cross. In fact, there'll be people that write books and deny the truth and say that it's a scam and it's a lie. There'll be people that'll come to church and they won't even bow here on this earth to Jesus' name. And does Jesus say, you know what, I'm not going to the cross because half the people won't even recognize what I have done for them. He goes to the cross anyways, knowing that there will be those that reject him, those that despise him, knowing that some of his very own disciples will deny him and betray him, and he serves them anyways. Because Jesus had this mindset that he was others-minded, right? That he was fixed on us and the benefit of us and protecting us and saving us. And so he was so otherly-minded that he couldn't worry about his own desires. Oftentimes Jesus said this, it's not my will, but... His will being done. And can we, as a people, be others-minded? Can we look at other people's needs and their hurts and their wounds and the things in their life, and can we serve them even if it means costing us something, even if it means a sacrifice on our part, even if it means we will not get anything in return, and we might know going into it we won't get anything in return, can we still serve anyways? 
Matthew 9.36 says that Jesus was looking out over the crowd and seeing the masses and looking at the people, and it says he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless because they were without a shepherd. And so Jesus saw our needs, and he saw us, and he looks over us and says, you guys are harassed and helpless. So he came to be the good shepherd. But the truth is, is that we are also called to shepherd and to lead others, whether it's our family, whether it's our job, whether it's in our communities, whether it's just our friends that we've known for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Can we look out and say, you know what, and be moved with compassion to where it causes us and stirs us into action for love of others? I can't imagine what that would do um, for our country alone, that if we set aside the priority of us being number one and looking out for me, myself, and I, and says, no, what can I do for others? How can I serve you? How can I look out for you? And I would trust that others would do the same for me. So Jesus says that he calls us to lay down our lives for the sake of others and to look out. No greater love than this for his friends than a man that would lay down his life. So my challenge is, who are the people in your lives? Who are the one or two that are in desperate need of some help? That God is stirring within you right now to be moved with compassion that you can act upon this week to sacrifice some of your time, your energy, and your effort and to love them as the way that you love yourself. And that you can demonstrate this to them. So continuing on in John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. We talked about this last week. It's all about relationship, and Jesus is calling us into relationship. But here's the beautiful part. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And so the Father and Jesus had a relationship that was a oneness. They were close and it was intimate. And he's saying, I know my sheep and my sheep know me in the same way that I know my Father and my Father knows me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Right? So Jesus here is talking to Jewish believers and the Pharisees and um, the Israelites, and he's saying that I have others, right? The Gentiles. I have others that I must bring into the flock. I must bring them in, and they too will know my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I love that because sometimes in churches, for some reason, we can be competitive as if <laughs> we're not all on the same team, if we're all not got being led by the one shepherd um, in one body and one flock. In Wilmington alone, there is hundreds of churches, okay? But guess what? The one thing that we all have in common is that we're being led by the one shepherd, all right? So it's not an us versus them mentality. It's we're all working together to advance the kingdom of God to lead them to the true shepherd. And then in verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. 
And this is important to note here, and this verse is extremely important um, from a theological standpoint, it's this. Is that Jesus' life just wasn't ripped away from him by the Jewish leaders and the Roman power and he had nothing else to do and he couldn't set himself free and he just did what, and he was, like he was bound by the human forces. Truth is, is if Jesus wanted to um, free himself from that, he easily had the power to do so. That he wasn't just backed into a corner, that he didn't have any other option, and that, you know, the father just was twisting his arm just so that way the father could have his perfect sacrifice um, and we could have it as if this was just forced upon him. It says this, that he laid down his life. It says the father actually granted him the authority, right, in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. It's kind of like if you've ever been a parent and you have children and they get into a tussle or they knock each other over and you want one kid to apologize to the other kid. Um, happens in our house frequently, right? Bryson, tell your sister sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Bryson, let's apologize like we mean it, like we understand, you know, um, the pain that you have caused or the action that you did was wrong. Sorry, Lulu. All right. I think sometimes we get this mindset that that's what it was like for Jesus on the cross, that he just was doing it um, because he was forced or he had no other option. No. It says that he laid down his life. It says that he gave his life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That it was an option, and he chose to do so. One of the most humbling passages to me is Isaiah 53, where it says that he was like a lamb being led before the slaughter and not opened his mouth. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been accused of something that you definitely didn't do, I for sure opened my mouth. <laughs> I'm the number one person to be my own best defense lawyer and declare myself innocent. I didn't do that. I didn't have anything to do with it. In fact, I'll point you to someone else that did. I'll throw someone else under the bus, right? And the most innocent man that there ever was was being led to the slaughter and he didn't even open his mouth. He could have stood up and defended and said, you are all guilty, you are all condemned, and I'm dying for your sins, and you deserve this, and I don't deserve any of this. But he not opened his mouth and he laid his life down for us and he gave it for us. What would make somebody do that? Why would he do that? In Hebrews chapter 11, It says, for the joy set before him. There it is. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. 
Philippians 2 says it this way, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be held on to. It says, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So why? Why would someone lay down his life for me? Why would... It's often been depicted as a courtroom scene where I am on trial and I have been condemned and convicted of the actions, and they're about to lay down the sentencing, you know, life in prison. And then someone in the courtroom stands up and says, you know what, I did it. It was me. I'll take the penalty. I'll take their judgment. I'll take their sentence. Why would someone do that for us? And Jesus says it was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. What was that joy? That joy was that one day that he would be exalted and that he would be seated at the right hand of the Father and that he would draw us unto himself. Proof, Hebrews chapter 10, verse, or Hebrews 2, chapter, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. So what was Jesus' glory? What was his joy that was set before him? That he would be seated at the right hand of the Father and that he would bring us into that glory with him. I don't know about you, but that's a shepherd that I can follow. That's the shepherd that I want leading me. That's the shepherd that I can trust to supply all of my riches and needs and be content in. And because of what he did on the cross, that can then motivate me to love others and to serve others and to guide them and lead them to the true shepherd. Because he has taken ownership of me and he has taken my sin and my trespasses upon him. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know, um, you know, at what stage of life you are. Maybe you're left in that wanting stage where you have a whole bunch of wants and needs and things that you've demanded and you're just not content with your situation. I would challenge you today to find that in the true shepherd and that you can rest in that and let his peace guide you and lead you. Maybe you don't feel like you belong. Maybe you, don't, you, maybe you feel like the black sheep and you're just on the outside and you don't know what it is. But know today that Jesus takes possession and ownership of you and is calling you his own and that you can know him. You can belong to the family of God because that's the gospel. That's the good news, right? Is that Jesus took my sin and my shame and that he died and was buried again so that it's no longer I who live but Christ in me. And so I'm going to ask Derek to come um, and if we can just sing Jesus Messiah. Um, He became sin who knew no sin that I might become the righteousness of God. And so this morning, I would just ask us to open up our hearts as we stand um, to worship together that if you need prayer, if you need someone to lay hands on you and the burdens and the problems of life have just been so weighty, please come and let the elders pray for you. But if not, um, 
will we resolve this week to walk out of the door to be led by the true shepherd, that I want nothing else leading me but Jesus and Jesus alone.